Well, good morning, 360 family and family of 360 family. We're, like Rob said, so glad that you are here. You've come on a great Sunday. We begin a new set of conversations. Uh, as we, as Rob said, enter in kind of officially into the Christmas season, although in the church world, some of you may know the, the term Advent. Advent is kind of a traditional recognition and expectation of the Christmas season. We, uh, it actually formally begins next, uh, next week. I do believe that it's important for us to have conversations not only about Christmas, but about the birth of Christ and who he was. So when you begin the Christmas story, you typically look either in the book of Matthew or the book of Luke. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the Bible, there are four storytellers of of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels or the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And you might ask yourself a question if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, why in the world would we tell the same story four times? The way I look at the, uh, the Bible is this, that God, because he breathes the word to us and inspired the word of God, it comes from God the creator. And when you look at creation around us, there is a brilliance and there is a meticulous nature to, to the world around us. So you, you think of the, the planets and how they're held together and the sun and the, the moon and the elements in the oxygen that we breathe and, the, and gravity and the ecology and, and the irrigation system of creation and all of these things that if you removed one element from that equation, then we would be doomed as human beings. The distance to the sun, the, the, the moon, and how it plays into everything is just, it's just brilliance. There's an engineering that is very, very difficult to deny if you're willing to study it. That same creator gave to us the Bible. So in the same way, the longer that I'm a Christian, the more I study the Bible, the more I, I know how much I don't know, but the more brilliant and beautiful it becomes. This is true with the gospel stories. So when you look at the four writers of the stories of Jesus, they had a particular purpose in writing the story that they wrote. The same uh, experiences, the same intersections, conversations, you'll see similarities. But the beginning of their stories give us the angles of why they wrote the stories. Now, stories are, are very important. The beginnings of stories are very important. Uh, there are some, some stories that begin like uh, uh, there was the best of times and the worst of times. And that sets the stage for a tale of two cities that's, that, that uh, really is the trajectory of where the story is going. Uh, long uh, ago in a galaxy far, far away, for all of you Star Wars people, I live with a Star Wars fanatic. And I have an executive pastor who is a Star Wars fanatic. I am surrounded by Star Wars fanaticism. And so it is, uh, I'm very well aware of these stories. So I, the beginning of how stories start, it kind of sets the stage. So I, I was thinking about, you know, I grew up in the South, and I, I was thinking about uh, this, this uh, sauce that you see, you know, as Worcester, if you live in certain areas of the world's Worcestershire, we call it Worcestershire sauce, right? And uh, often people don't know, hey, where did this, where did it come from? Where did the name come from? Well, it started in the South. I don't know if you knew this or not, but it started in the South, and uh, on the tables and restaurants, 
restaurants, they would have, the, the bottle would look like this with no label on it. And uh, everybody, you know, the restaurant owners, they just got tired of the same question over and over. The people would hold up this bottle and say, hey, what's your sheer sauce? You know, and so that's where, that's where it came from. See what I'm saying? You guys have a great week. That's all I'm, yeah. You know, I, I always feel like if you can take one good thing away, you know, it's a... When you look at the gospel writers, their beginnings tell us everything about how they're going to tell the story. Matthew is a Jewish writer. He wants us to see that Jesus is the long-promised and long-awaited Messiah. So you look at the beginning and the genealogy, it takes us back through David, through the lineage, all the way back, and, he, and his starting point is Abraham, who was the father of the nation of Israel. Because Matthew says, I want you to see the Jewish side, the promised Messiah, the messianic side of Christ. Then you come to the second story writer, Mark. There's no Christmas story in Mark. There's no genealogy in Mark. It just starts right in where Jesus is beginning his ministry. And the reason is that Mark wants us to see the servant, the slave, the, the, the selfless emptian of Christ. Because if you know anything about servants and slaves, they didn't have the privilege of having a genealogy recorded. So Mark says, we're not going to have a story that starts like that because we're going to show Christ as servant, slave. And then you come to Luke, who was a Gentile. And his genealogy takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam, because he uses often the word son of man. He wanted us to see the humanity of Christ. Then we come to the very distinct gospel writer, the story writer, John. John had a very unusual and close relationship with Jesus. You remember that at his crucifixion, all of Jesus' disciples had fled except one. John stood there alone with Jesus' mother. It was only John who, who Jesus said, I want you to take care of my mother. He should have picked his brothers, but he picked John. It was John that laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, and, and he called himself the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. In other words, he was trying to tell us, I was his best friend. So we come to the book of John, and John gives us the heart of Christ, the eternal side of Christ, the inner side of Christ, that side that only a best friend would know. So you begin to see the brilliance of of the Gospels, and that they could have just given us one story, but it wasn't about the story. It was about really understanding who Jesus is. So we're going to do something a little bit different as we try to do here and give a fresh angle. Instead of landing in the Matthew Christmas story and the Luke Christmas story, we're going to, for the next five weeks, look at the eternal Christmas story from the best friend of Jesus in the book of John. And what we're going to do is we're going to do five weeks, and we're going to take one verse in, in the first five verses of, of the book of John, the story of John. We're going to take one verse a week, and we're going to look at who Jesus is, because I believe that it's important for us as believers to, to be able to tell others who Jesus really is. And I also believe that if you come today and you're searching for something of truth, you're searching for truth, and you're searching for God that especially in a day where truth just gets moved all around, that it's important to understand who Jesus really is and what he said about himself, about who he was, about what he did, and what others said about him. 
And so we're going to take five weeks. Then we're going to take a couple weeks off at the end, do something, just a couple of organic things for the beginning of the year. And then when we get to the beginning of the year, we're also going to continue in the, in the verse by verse through John, the first 18 verses, and we're going to look at who we are who we are in Christ. So it's going to be a really exciting, uh, we're going to, a very exciting journey. John begins his story with an epic statement. It is a statement that is, that draws a line in the sand. And it is a statement that speaks of Christ like no other religious leader in the entire world. It is a statement that is both epic and profound at the same time. We begin the story, John chapter 1 and verse 1. He begins with the same words as the Bible begins, the first three words in the beginning. So right from the outset, we're not in Bethlehem. We're not even in the temple with David. We're not in the land of Ur with Abraham. We're not even in the Garden of Eden with, as Luke brings us back to Adam. We are in eternity past. There is not one single person sitting in this room that can understand what that truly means to its full capacity. As human beings, we only have a limited understanding of what's in the future and a limited understanding of what's in the past, but John goes there. I remind you that John wrote the book of Revelation, that he is not just... Uh, He's not predicted the future. He's lived in the future. He understands eternity. So of all the writers, he has the right to speak of eternity. And he begins, so he begins before Adam took his first breath, before the first bird flew, before the first fish swam, before the, the first bush bloomed. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, when you look at the context of this, this chapter, you'll understand that the word is the word, he's using that word for Jesus. So what he's saying from the beginning is a profound statement, in the beginning was Jesus. Now, there is, there is no other religious leader that can claim, and, and who lived out, and we'll talk about that, who lived out the claim that before anybody took a first breath, that he existed. And I would say to you that it's important because, respectfully, many religious leaders, they just pop up out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, I'm going to be the it person without any predictions, without any prophecy, without any form or runway. Now, speaking of Star Wars, uh, it's about to come out, right? The, what are we on now? 130? Star Wars 130? <laughs> Eight, right? Is this eight? All right. So anytime there is a significant movie, there is what? A trailer. A trailer, right? No movie producer is going to put out a movie without advertising it well in advance. My household goes like, the, it makes me nervous to go to Star Wars movies with my fanatical Star Wars wife. Because you, you dare make any noise during, I mean, th no crunching of popcorn, no scratching of heads, no sneezing. I mean, if you sneeze, you better hit the floor, bring a towel, and sneeze deeply into the towel and make no noise. Sneeze, you know, <clears throat> like where it hurts your brain, go ahead and do that, but don't make any noise. The same is true with the trailers. I mean, you know, they got these little eight-second clips that are coming like, shut up! The whole house is supposed to be silenced. There's an eight-second clip of Star Wars. Everybody's silence. If you think 
that movie producers are going to advertise what's coming, wouldn't you think that God, when he's about to send a riveting message and pivot humanity upside down by sending the savior of the world, that there would be a trailer. In fact, there are centuries of trailers that God sent so that when Christ came from the beginning, it would have been no surprise to anyone. This is the validation, one of the strong validations of Christ that God gave us a ramp for so many years and the details and the prophecies of what he would be. And so when we read these words, it doesn't become so far-fetched. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus, the word, was with God. And here's the epic statement. Here's the statement that separates many people. And Jesus was God. Now, when you have conversations about who Jesus is with people, you'll hear a variety of things. Uh, he was a miracle man. Uh, he was a good teacher. He was a good person. But when you come to Jesus was God, this is where it becomes a little more intense. Have you noticed? If you haven't, I just uh, encourage you to try it out at the water cooler at work tomorrow. Hey, man, how was your Thanksgiving? Cool. Hey, you know Jesus was God? Let's try it out and see, see what kind of response you get. So the question then becomes, what did Jesus say about himself? It's a classic question that is often asked. Did Jesus himself say that he was God? And the answer, without dancing around it, is absolutely black and white, yes, non-questionable. Watch. We'll show you a couple of, of, of places. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus said this, I and the Father are one. Now, what he didn't mean was, hey, we're buddy-buddy. We're really close. He was saying, we are one and the same. How do I know that? By the response, they understood exactly what he was talking about. The religious leaders, it, it, uh, it, they, their response was this, later on in verse 33. You, a mere man, claim to be God? They understood exactly what he meant when he says, I and the Father are one. In John chapter 8, he takes it up a step. He says, I know that, you know, this, for some of you, the Christmas story was supposed to go back to Abraham. Let me tell you this. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. The sacred name for God, I am. He's saying way before, who could make this claim? Who could make this claim? Who could say, I mean, if I came up one day and said, hey, you know, before Abraham Lincoln, you know, before Abraham Lincoln, I am. I was there. Next week, I'll be preaching to an empty church. This guy's a nutcase, right? This is a bold statement. Jesus is saying, before Abraham, many, many centuries ago, I am. I existed. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 61, at his trial, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? He said, let me give you a complex answer. I am. Any questions? <laughs> we make theology so deep and like so complicated. Jesus said, no, yes, I am. That, that's it. I'm checking yes on that box. I am. And let me amp it up. 
Not only am I telling you and making this claim, but in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the very first chapter, Revelation chapter 1, and the very last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, they make the same claim. Jesus makes the same claim, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, I am the beginning and the end. I am the A and the Z. I am the Alpha and the Omega who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. Jesus does not dance around the fact that he himself was God. So you may ask yourself the question, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Because I was just reading an article uh, in this postmodern age, in this culture, where truth becomes relative. You've heard the phrase, that's my truth, that's your truth. That's not how truth works. Truth is absolute. Truth is immovable. And I I was just recently reading this this article about Jesus being God, and many people in our culture says, number one, it's wrong, but number two, it's unnecessary. That it's unnecessary that Christ is God. For that reason, because when you get on this topic of the deity of Christ, Christ being God, I'm telling you, you start studying, you feel like you're, you know, you're out of the beach with a sand shovel and you've got to move all the sand. There is so much on this topic. So I thought, let's crystallize it for ourselves and come down to this question. What if Christ were not God? What ramifications would that have for humanity? If it is unnecessary then let's ask that question just straight up. Here's why. The Christmas story is not just about baby Jesus, as you will see. We know that. It's a wonderful, enchanting season of the year. But it is the time, it's on the timeline of, the, of history, at this pinpointed moment where Christ came into the world as God for very specific reasons. In this day and age where truth seems relative to many, it is our very weighty responsibility to be able to answer questions for those who ask. It is your responsibility, if you're searching for God, not just to choose the religion or the faith of your parents. It is your responsibility to search for God and to find the God of truth. And not just go on opinion, not something you just heard on TV, not something, but really search for God because he makes this promise to you. If you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. But that often takes some passion and muscle. It is the most important quest of our life. For that reason, let's not be lazy about it. Let's engage our minds. Let's engage our passion. Let's engage everything about us. So let's answer this question, and probably there's many answers to this question, but what would the ramifications be if Christ were not God? Here's the first one, perhaps the most important one. We would all, as as human beings, be trapped We'd be trapped in our own sin and our own doom because there would be no one to rescue us. Now, I'm about to go heavy on you. So if, you're, if you want to think about something else for six minutes, I'll be back. <laughs> it's the importance of the virgin birth, which 
I understand is a phenomenal, but we live in a supernatural world. We just happen to see natural things around us, but we live in a supernatural world, and I believe that most people can sense that, that there's something, whether you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, you can sense that there is more to life than just the things that we touch and feel because they all decay. And there's something in us, and we're, we're told by Solomon that, that God has put in eternity in our hearts, and we understand that this, there's something there outside of that. So when it comes to miracles, I wouldn't say, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. But there are reasons. Jesus, all of his miracles had a purpose, okay? Including the virgin birth. Watch this. If Christ were born of a woman that was conceived by a man, he would have been trapped in the same bloodline as Adam. You see, Adam sinned and infected the entire human race. It is, it is a phenomena that, that is, that is cha- challenging to our minds, but not challenging to our experience. Can I say it again? It's challenging to our minds, like how come Adam blew it and then the rest of us got infected? But it's not challenging to our experience. How do I know that? Well, I've raised children. And I was a ch- child myself. And I didn't have to read how to sin for dummies. How to have a bad attitude, 101, right? All of us kind of experience it. Even as Christians, sometimes we're jerks. Let's just be honest, right? Sometimes we struggle with stuff. Sometimes we're blah, blah, blah. We, by experience, no one has to explain the wetness of water. No one has to explain the sinness of our humanity. That's because we're told that every single person born to a man and a woman are infected. For that reason, God did something brilliant that wasn't just nice. It was absolutely necessary. That was that he took a human being, Mary, and impregnated her by the power divine of the Holy Spirit so that it broke the bloodline that would have come through Joseph, through the seed of Joseph. So what was happening is that Christ came and he was born without the sin of of Adam on him. What an amazing, brilliant plan. You see, all along the way, God said in the Old Testament, here's the sacrifice for your sins and make sure it's without defect without a flaw. Century after century after century, a compassionate God is telling us what the Messiah will have to look like. The Messiah will have to be perfect. Otherwise, it's like jumping in a swimming pool with a drowning man. Both of you are going to drown. One person needs to step outside the pool and throw the lifeline in, right? It's how to save a drowning man 101. You can't jump in the pool because you both will go down. Watch this. The Christmas story according to Matthew in chapter 1. Matthew, of course, Mary got impregnated by the seed that God planted in her. You think, God, could God do that? Really? He created, he created everything ex nihilo, 
all from nothing, if you believe that this world was created from nothing, he can't create a seed in a woman? Sure he can. And so he created the seed. Joseph, wasn't, he didn't quite get the memo. And he, of course, like any other man, would thought, thought well, his wife had you know, committed adultery, and so he's going to put her away quietly. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name salvation. That's what the word Yeshua means, Jesus, Joshua in the Old Testament. Salvation, why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, John was saying that it is absolutely necessary that Christ was God because he was perfect and only the perfect God, only the perfect Savior, only the perfect Lamb could untrap us from the, from the, the, the nature of sin, from the trap of sin, from the bondage of sin. Somebody had to come from the outside. Now watch this. John writes some letters later on in the New Testament. He writes th- these words. But you know that Christ appeared. Why? So that he might take away our sins coupled with, and in him is no sin. Those two phrases are inseparable. There is not one other single human being born of a man and a woman who could save us out of the trap of our own sin. We needed someone to come from the outside that was unaffected or not infected by the sin of Adam. Does that make sense? Now, for those of you that are new to the Bible, like, that's crazy. I get it. But let me ask you this question. Think about this. Think about this. What other way could there have been? What other way could there have been to have a man die in our place but have that man be God? Think about it. So let's say I gave you an assignment today. Hey, I want you to go home and think of a plan B of saving humanity. Now, they can't be a man because they can't be born of a man. The seed's going to pass on. They're going to be infected. Okay, you come up with a solution. We'll meet you next Sunday. Think about that. The brilliance of God, <laughs> the brilliance of God in Christ is stunning, is it not? Here's a second reason. So the first reason, let me remind us of the topic. We're answering a culture that says, really, is it necessary that, that Christ is God? Would you agree just on the first point that it is absolutely critically necessary that Christ was God? Here's a, here's a second. Here's a second way. And let me set it up like this. It depends uh, how we approach people on, on who they are in our own minds. You know what I mean? Like if they're important, if they're our boss, if they're our child, who they are in our minds, it, it depends on how we approach them. So yesterday, my, my wife and I were walking in the park and uh, together in an early morning walk by ourselves, kind of neat. This was our uh, 22nd anniversary, by the way. Been married 22 years. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. That's applause for me for putting... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was really for her. Um, 
we're walking in the park, and there's a guy. I don't know if he's here today. His name's Richard. He was living. He used to live in my neighborhood, and see him running all the time in Nerfer Park. Blah blah blah. It's park near our house, and and uh, so we're walking, and I see Richard uh, sitting on a bench by himself. And so I'm telling you, know, I kind of see him from a distance. I'm like, where that, you know, I get up to him about where that guitar is right there. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying, hey, there's Richard. And she goes, Carrie's like, yeah, hey, there's Richard. That's cool, right? So I go up to him. And I'm like, hey, 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 what's going on? Hey, hey, who? That's not Richard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looked like Richard, but until you got up close, and it wasn't Richard. So he was like this, you know, he's sitting there, mind his own business. I think he had, you know, earbuds in. And it was like, yeah, it's like, hey, hey. Hey, 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 that's weird. <laughs> that was kind of a weird experience, right? See, I approached him because I thought I knew who he was, and then when I recognized, you know, it wasn't Richard, I'm like, that just kind of became a weird moment. Oh, here, here's another one for you. I don't know if you heard about the guy in Tampa this week, and uh, he was uh, trying to break into cars. Anybody see that? He was trying to break into cars, and they had surveillance you know, uh, video, and he tried like six or seven cars, and they were all locked, and he was looking for one that was unlocked, and he, you know, he, he, he gave up, you know, but he came back the next night, you know, if you first don't succeed, still, still again, something like that, you know, and he came back, they had surveillance cameras on, and in fact, I brought a picture of him, and he, he found success, found this pretty cool vehicle, the door was unlocked, and uh, so he was opened up the door to, to you know, rip off what was in there, and there were three undercover policemen. <laughs> Had he known who was there, the identity of who was there, he would have approached the vehicle different, okay? Here's where we're landing. Here's where I'm going. If Christ is not God, our worship and our allegiance is heresy. Can I say it again? If Christ is not God, everything we've done this morning is heresy, and our allegiance is heresy because of the first commandment that God gave to Moses, there shall be no other gods before me. You shall worship and bow down to no other God except me. So when we begin the Christmas um, uh, trek when Christ is a little older, he's visited by the Magi. We've traditionally called them wise men in Matthew chapter 2. When the Magi saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They worshiped him because Christ was God, not because he was famous, not because he was. He was a good teacher, or going to be a good teacher. He was a child. And then watch what happens. They not only worshiped him, but they gave him their allegiance. They opened up their treasures to him. This is what happens when you come face to face with Christ the Lord, not just Christ the Savior. You see, if we only counter Christ as Savior, like we saw in the first point, where he came to save the world. If we only come to Christ the Savior, hey, I'm, I'm going to be a recipient of that deal. Great. You died for me. Great. Take away your sins. Great. We accept Christ. Great. But we not only come to Christ as Savior, we recognize Christ as Lord. And when we recognize Christ as Lord, we not only take his life, but we give ours back. 
If we only present Christ as Savior, then what happens for us is we just become takers. You see, the, the Magi came and said, we bow before you and we open our treasures to you. It's why Paul wrote in the book of Titus these words. In, two, in chapter 2, verse 13, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing, watch, of our God and Savior. Not just our Savior, but our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's why Jesus said these words. All should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He put himself on equal terms. If you do not honor the Son, you do not honor the Father who sent him. Why is this necessary? Watch. It's necessary because if we recognize Christ as God, no matter what he asks for, we'll do. We'll open up our treasures. See, it baffles me for believers and followers of Christ to say, I don't know if I want to disciple anybody. Really? You see, because Christ, when he gave the charge, he said, all authority has been given unto me. Wow, whatever you ask. You see? All authority has been given in heaven and earth has been given to me, whatever you ask. I'm asking you to give. I'm asking you to forgive. I'm asking you to sacrifice. I'm asking you to live full throttle. I'm asking you to love me with your mind, all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. When he's God, you say yes. You open up your treasures. There's no holding back. They recognize that day, the Magi, we are standing, listen, in the presence of God. I think I'll keep a little golden myrrh to myself. Not the case. Not the case. Make sense? Jesus is God. It makes a difference because we would be trapped in our humanity. It makes a difference because our worship and our allegiance only mean something when it's God. You remember some of the disciples, by the way, um, in the book of Acts? There were human beings that fell down and worshiped them. You know what? Get up, get up. I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to be struck by lightning. I'm not God. There were times that angels from heaven came and human beings would fall from to get up because worship was reserved for only one. Listen, there were many people that fell at the feet of Christ and worshiped him and he never stopped one of them. Had he not been God, he would have like everyone else, like angels and other human beings, get up. I'm not to be worshiped. It was evidence and validation that he was God himself. Finally, not only did he untrap us from the sin of humanity, not only did he welcome our allegiance and our worship, but perhaps the most challenging one. If Christ were not God, no line would ever be drawn. No line would ever be drawn. What do I mean by that? You see, everything's cool when you talk about Jesus until you bring up the fact that he's God. Then it gets a little rough. Things become a little more intense. And this was true even in the Christmas story. Watch this. In, in Luke chapter 2, there was a man named Simeon. He was an older man. He had waited and prayed, knowing that the Messiah was about to come. 
And finally, when he saw the, 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 the Christ child, watch what happens. In Luke chapter 2, verse 35, then Simeon blessed them, that means the Mary and Joseph and the baby, and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to make many people happy. Doesn't say that. This child is destined to guarantee the warm and fuzzies. Doesn't say that. Right from the outset in the Christmas story, this child is destined to cause to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, not for. Watch, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Welcome to the Christmas story. It's enchanting. I love the Christmas story. But we of all people cannot overlook the fact that when Christ came, we're going to draw a line. It's going to cause the rising and the falling of many people. It's going to reveal the hearts of many people because it is extremely common to say Jesus is a good man. He's a miracle man. He was a good teacher to say he was God. Whoa, that's a little too far, a little too far. Watch what happens in Matthew, the story, the, the, the Christmas story in, in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, when Mary and Joseph had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother, take Jesus and Mary and escape to Egypt. Why? Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. He must have been more than a religious leader. He must have been more than a quotable spiritual guide. Have you noticed that, with no disrespect, have you noticed, like, if you bring up, you know, if you quote Gandhi, everything's cool? It's warm and fuzzy? You know what I mean? That's cool. You know, you're at a Christmas party and say, hey, you know, I heard Gandhi say this. And everybody's like, oh, that's cool, man. Right? You know what I'm saying? And nothing about Gandhi. He's probably a better guy than I was, right? Not, not a problem for that. If you say, hey, um, hey here's, an, here's one uh, from um, Confucius. Oh, wow, Confucius said, yeah, well, that's, that's all cool. Here's one from Jesus. Whoa, wait a minute, Christmas party over. <laughs> He's a divider. The hearts of many will be revealed. As an exercise, again, respectfully to other religions, but... If we're going to include, we're going to be inclusive. Let's in, be inclusive of everybody. That includes everybody, right? I'm down at Home Goods with my son last year. He was then 12 years old, and uh, they have you know everything, lamps, sofas, you know. But then they got a section of like ceramics, you know what I mean? Uh, candlestick holders and statues and blah blah blah. And it was such a great exercise. I said, eh, I'm kind of looking around, and then I begin to observe, and. Um, my 12-year-old, and that's 13 now, is, he just got a spiritual appetite so he could handle the conversation I was about to have with him. I said, hey, hey, Wes, I want you to notice something here. Who, who's this a statue of? Buddha. I'm like, that's cool. Yep, right. And let's go over here. Who's this? That's Buddha again. Yep, right. Yep, there's one down at the bottom. Who's that, Buddha? Mm-hmm. I'm like, who's this? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, that's the god of Hindu. That's their, that's their god. I'm like, yep, okay, there's, hey, there's another one. There's one in brass over here. That's, uh-huh. Hey, Wes, I got a question for you. Do you see a cross here? 
Do you see a cross in this store? No, I don't see one. I'm like, take note. Take note. Nothing against, I'm not speaking against the other religions. You understand that, right? I'm just saying that Jesus, because he is God, is distinguished. And, he's a lo- and it draws the line. Listen now, carefully. We need a line to be drawn. Amen. We need a line to be drawn. There needs to be, truth, truth draws lines. And that's cool. That's all right. It's not, I'm not encouraging you to go throw rocks at other religions. That's not the point. I hope you understand that. But watch what happened with Jesus himself. I'm going to go reread those verses I read earlier, and then I'm going to include the response. Watch this. Every single time without exception. John chapter 10, verse 30. When Jesus said, I and the Father are equal. We're, I'm, we're one. Next verse. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. It was that statement when he said, I'm God, line drawn. If he had just come to talk about life principles, no problem. Nobody's throwing rocks at him. But as soon as he said, I'm God, the Jews picked up stone to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you great miracles from the Father. I have, for which one of these do you stone me? This is a critical response from Christ. You see, if I get up to you and I say, hey, I'm, guess what? I had a revelation last night. I'm God. Well, I'm, I'm going to probably preach to an empty room. Probably my mom would be, you know, have some allegiance. She'd be here next week, <laughs> right? Why? Because I have no power to back up that statement, and neither does any other religious leader. Jesus is saying, yes, I am God, and I have proven to you that I am Lord over creation. I calmed the storm. I walked on water. I have proven to you that I'm Lord over the dark world. I have, I have released demons and driven them out. I've proven to you that I am Lord over, the, over uh, anatomy, over biology. I have healed those that never could be healed for years. I've healed the blind, lame men walk, the deaf can hear. I am God, and I have backed up my claim that I am the Lord of this universe. There is no other religious leader that can do that. So Jesus said, okay, what miracles are you going to stone me for? And they said, we're not stoning you for these miracles, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, that was the line. That's why it's important. John chapter 8. You remember he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am, very next sentence. At this, at this, at this line-drawing statement, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. John chapter 19. From a human point of view, it's the very reason why they killed him. As soon as Jesus is on trial, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. But Pilate, the Roman government leader, answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge. He's not broken any of our Roman laws, and the Jews insisted we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. Why? Because he claimed to be God, the Son of God, equal to God. It was a dividing line. Therefore, you cannot say Jesus was a good teacher and he was not God. I'll go back to C.S. Lewis's now famous line. He was either nuts, a lunatic. He was either a liar 
or he was the Lord of the universe. And you must choose. There is no wiggle room with Jesus. So when we come to Christ, listen, is it necessary for us to embrace the fact that Christ is God? It's absolutely critical. And if we're Freddy cats to talk about that, who else is going to? Because, see, there's a world outside that even on the face, maybe that seems like they may be antagonistic to this thought, but deep down, they need to be untrapped like we did. They need the message of the good news of Christ like we did. They need to understand. I understand that Christ is a dividing line, but I have chosen Christ, and I have life like I never had life I have a destiny like I never had a destiny. My ambitions are changed, and I have opened up my allegiance and my treasures, and I am living on this planet for Christ, who is God alone. It's why Thomas came to Christ, and when he had that moment of realization, you remember what he said, my Lord and my God my Lord, and my God. This is the offer of Christmas. This is the dividing line that every human will face. We sang about it this morning, that every knee will bow then, but not every knee bows now. It's a choice that God gives to us. It's a choice that God gives to you. Let me speak as soberly as I can to you as we close. Perhaps you're here today, and you're searching for God. I spent two years searching for God, I, 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 trying to wrap my head around the Bible, trying to filter out religions, studied religions, trying to find truth, because I was serious about this, part, this dimension of life, and maybe that's you today. And you've probably gotten a lot more info than you ever had thought, and I know it's mind-expanding. But the simplicity is this, that God came to earth because he loved the humanity that he created so much, and that there really was only one way to save us from ourselves and our sin, and that was enter in in a divine way to offer himself as the Savior and God of this world. Our response is simply this, God I trust you, and I follow you. Trust and follow. I give you my life, God, and I can't earn my way to you. And I say to you, Christ, please forgive me of all my mistakes, my my cracks, my, my brokenness, all that. And I receive your gift of grace. And in return... I open up my allegiance to you. I open up my heart to follow you. This is the invitation of Christmas. It's no fooling around. It's not religion. It's life-changing relationship with God. Do you have that yet in your life? If you're searching, today perhaps is the day where you by faith and commitment to Christ, you say, God, here I am. I want to bridge that gap. Can we pray? 
about that. I'm, in, I'm engaging every believer in this room to join our hearts and pray. Father, how gracious and, and brilliant you are. It is really, it's moving. Father, when I think, God, of what could be, you could have shown up in Jesus with no announcement, but you gave us centuries of announcements. You gave us centuries of details so that it's, it be, the Christ is more tangible and it, it, it hardly really takes faith because of what you've given to us. Jesus could have come with no miracles that we would have had to just reach down deep and believe at face value what he was saying, but, but God, you showed us something different. You backed up his claim as God with his command over, over the creation, over the elements of, of creation, over our bodies, over the dark world, the miracles, God. It hardly, it hardly calls for, our, for us to, to, to even reach down deep to believe because what he did. He could have come he could be laying in a grave somewhere like every other religious human leader. But God, you rose him from the dead. And, and not only that, he stood in a room with 500 people at the same time. The measure in which you took, God, the length at which you took to allow us to see that Christ is who he said he was. He, he was God and Savior is really stunning. And we're grateful for it, God. In fact, God, I, this question just comes to my mind. What else could you have done, really? What else could you have done? So now we stop, God. And we just hover and we meditate and we, on this truth. And we pray, God, together with great compassion, for those here who are searching for you, who are trying to filter and understand, would you, God, do something for them that, that they can't do for themselves? And that is, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, reveal to them who Jesus is today. Would you reveal to them, God, their absolute need for you? That without Christ as Lord, they're trapped and will remain trapped in their sin. But you've come to release and come to save and come to rescue. So, Father, I'm praying, we're praying together for those in this room that say yes today. Yes, yes, God, I need you. Yes, Christ, I need you. I need you as Savior, and I need you as Lord. Now, this is at times where we just pause and we say, maybe that's you right now in your heart. There is no need for manipulation in your heart. You say, yes, that is me. I want Christ. I need Christ. I need a, I need a Savior, and I need a Lord. God, would we just pause right now 
people are praying for you around this room. If that is you privately, would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. I want Christ today. Thank you so much in the back. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? I'm looking in the privacy of this room. Anyone else? So, and this is not awkward. You can just relax. And this is a moment where we've been filled with the Word of God. And we just relax. Is there anyone else that would say, today, I want, to, I want Christ in my life. That He can have mine. Oh God, how grateful we are. We're grateful for those who have responded with courage and humility. Perhaps there are those in the room that, that are a little awkward to raise their hand. Thank you for this one that did. And God, we just pray that in this moment, from their own heart, they would just speak to you and say, God, I, I need you, Jesus. Thank you for the, for the gift of salvation that you offer through the cross, through the blood of Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. And right now I receive that gift. And I'm giving you my life to follow you and to trust you. And I commit my life to you. What a beautiful intersection, God. And thank you as, uh, for, for those of us that have trusted and are following you. We end this day with the words of Thomas that have lived through the centuries, my Lord and my God. And we give you praise and thanks for being, making the Christmas story, the gospel, so absolutely vividly clear and touchable and reachable, understandable, and delivered in such a way of love. So thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, our God and our Savior. Amen.